Happy Father's Day, man. Hope somebody's already treated you well, breakfast in bed. Anybody really get that this morning? Hopefully sometime through the day, you have the opportunity to experience the joy of your kids, your wife, your mate, your family, your friends, maybe a mom or dad, to be able to be with you. I got the greatest gift I could have gotten this morning. It was the text from both of my girls who love me, love Jesus, marry guys who love Jesus. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. So I'm just thrilled and happy to be able to be a dad and to be a part of their life. I have sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. I encourage you to take them out. There are a couple of questions there. When you think of a man's man, what comes to your mind? When you think of a man's man, what comes to your mind? For me, John Wayne. (laughs) I mean, come on, John Wayne, the Duke. Always there, always came through, tough, protected the weak. When I think of a man's man, I think of John Wayne. Maybe some of you thought of Mel Gibson in Braveheart. I mean, the movie's a little rough, and I get that. I'm not endorsing it, but I'm just saying, when I watch that movie, I try to get the clean-up versions that not are in the theater but come back on the, on the television, and I'm just telling you, I'd follow that guy. It's the passion and the intensity and his desire to put everything on the line for his country and what he believes. Connie and I were talking about it last night. We both thought of Pat Tillman. I mean, look at that face. I mean, that chiseled face is a man's man. Left the NFL to fight for his country, gave his life to do that. Maybe you think of an Army Ranger, a Navy SEAL, a Green Beret. Every time missionaries come and visit our home, especially if they bring their kids, Uncle Denny's got to take them out and take them shooting. So we'll go to a range, we'll get some guns, we'll have some weapons, and many of them grow up in overseas contexts where they're not allowed to have any weapons at all. So it's kind of fun when you come to Uncle Denny's house and we go out and we do a lot of fun stuff. Matter of fact, I had one of them say one time, hey, Dad, um, if anything happens to, to you, can, can Mom marry Uncle Denny? <laughs> now that's an awkward conversation to have first thing in the morning with your kids, And he said, don't you think Aunt Connie would not be okay with that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had a couple of kids out, Nate now, who works for the federal government, fascinatingly enough. We were out, and we were shooting ARs and and just having fun doing it. And I said, "Uh, do you think your dad would like, he said, can my dad come out? And I said, Nate, I'll be honest with you, your dad's a missionary. I, I can't even imagine him liking to shoot. He said, my dad was a Green Beret. I went, oh, invite him out. (laughs) And he shot the daylights out of everything. How many of you have that, what you would call, what I would call that man's man in your life, that godly man or man of influence? I hope you do. Either that man's man in your life or maybe it was a grandfather for you or that godly man in your life somewhere along the way that just showed you the way that maybe you didn't have in your dad or somebody else in your life, but you watched this guy and you saw his passion for Christ and passion for Christianity and his love for Jesus and the leadership styles maybe that he had. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a guy or somebody else in the neighborhood, but I hope you have somebody like that in your life or maybe some kind of influential man. Now, he doesn't have to hunt, shoot, or ride a Harley, although... If he does any of those things, he'd be a man's man in my book. (laughs) 
I got, just in case something happens to this service here, I got really sick last night. I come home from a wedding, and the porcelain throne and I were really good friends. And I got up this morning wondering what I was going to do and whether I was going to be here, and that's why the chair's here, just in case. They're actually taping this service just in case I don't make it to the second. So if I don't greet you afterwards, that's, I, I hope you understand that. The reason I'm saying that is I came out this morning, and I was trying to manually put my socks on, and my wife said, honey, uh, sweetheart, I know you're not feeling good, but this is Sunday. I said, yeah, I know. Well, honey, you have a Harley shirt on. <laughs> this is Sunday. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's Father's Day. <laughs> and on Father's Day, since I have to work every major holiday in the calendar, I felt like I'm going to address in what I feel comfortable in. That guy doesn't have to hunt you to ride a Harley, but maybe there's somebody in your life, I really hope so, and we're going to pray for that at the end of the message this morning, that you have somebody to look up to, somebody to listen to, somebody that listens to you or you listen to them, maybe somebody you want to emulate. I got a dad. I, I wrote on his card the other day, Dad, you have no idea how exciting it is to be able to use you as a model on Sunday. And I know it's not every person in the audience would ever do that. But he really is somebody I look up to, somebody I love and adore. He's got so many rough edges you can't even imagine it. Even if you put him through a planer, all the rough edges would still be there. But he's an amazing man of God. I had a senior pastor when I started ministry 40 years ago in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, that I absolutely adored. He was a man's man. He taught me ministry. He taught me the challenges of ministry, the balances of ministry, the boundaries of ministry. I loved and adored that man. Rock Delliman and I both followed him. Rock's the pastor of the ACAC Alliance Church down in Pittsburgh. And we both followed Mel. We started under his ministry and then went out and God's blessed us in our own way. And when Mel died, Ruth called us up and said he wanted you and Rock to the only ones to do his funeral of all the guys that he's influenced through the years. I love that man. I've had a lot of great guys along the way. If you've got somebody in your life, it's in your notes, I think, if you have somebody in your life who really is, I'm not necessarily the man's man who does all that stuff, but a godly man or a man of influence, I really do hope you've told them how much you appreciate them. Now, many of you are going to do it today on Father's Day, but beyond the dads in your life, the other men in your life who somewhere along the way have impacted your life, I really do hate, hope you take the time to just say, you know what, thanks. Then he talked about men in your life and godly men in my life and godly individuals in my life, and you're one of them. Just wanted to let you know via a text, a note, a, a letter. I mean, the oddity of writing a hand letter anymore is rare. But, uh, man, just let them know how much you have appreciated them. Now, if you don't have one, I want to give you a biblical one this morning. He's my favorite. We had Moses last week. We're going to go back to Moses next week. But I thought, Father's Day, it has got to be Joshua. I mean, he, to me, for a lot of reasons, is one of my favorite. He's a warrior. He's a leader. His philosophy of life, as for me and my house, we're serving God. You guys want to debate it? You guys want to talk about it? You do that. For me and my house, we're serving God. And you got to wonder, as children hearing that are saying, lead the way, Dad. We'll follow you. That was the beginning of his ministry. The end of his ministry is for me and my house. We are going to serve God. He follows a great leader, Moses. I mean, how would you like to follow Moses? The guy puts the staff down and parts the Red Sea. That's pretty cool. I don't know that I'd want to follow that. 
He goes up and meets with God face to face, the only one that ever's met with God face to face, and gets the Ten Commandments, breaks them, as we said last week, and has the audacity to go back into God's presence again and get another set. And God doesn't zap him with lightning, saying, did this once, not happening again. Now, that's a guy that I would have a hard time following. I've always been in a position of following great pastors, and what I love about Joshua is that he doesn't try to wear somebody else's shoes. How many times have you heard that when dad dies, mom dies, or somebody else in your life, wow, you're going to have big shoes to fill. The best thing you could ever do is not fill those shoes. Wear your own. Wear your own. What's God called you to be? Be yourself. Don't always try to be your dad. You don't have to be your dad. There are so many qualities of my dad that I love and adore and so many qualities of my dad that I said, there's no way on a planet I'm going to be like that. Wear your own shoes. What is it that God's calling you to do? Be yourself. Now, instead of a particular section of Scripture this morning, I'm going to go through some of the stages of his life and draw conclusions as we go away. Joshua takes over at a very critical time in Israel's history as they were heading to the promised land. God has been preparing him for a long time for that particular task. Moses dies, first few verses of Joshua. You're in charge, going to be with you everywhere you go. Right, left, I'm telling you, I'll be with you. Stay in my word. Stay in my word. Stay in my word. Meditate on it day and night. I promise you, wherever you go, take courage, I'll be with you. Similar to the beloved that we read a moment ago this morning. God had been preparing him for a long time for that task. One of the keys to success in your notes this morning is whether you learn from the lessons of life or you waste them and miss the moment. They're everywhere. Pay attention to those moments in your life where God is teaching you some valuable lessons. It may not seem monumental at the time, but it can be invaluable as you analyze your journey. I'm this far along in my journey, so I'm well over two-thirds of the way through in my journey, and and it's fascinating. At the time when I'm going through this, I'm wondering, how's that going to fit? What is it going to do? What did I learn? What will I learn? I don't make sense. That didn't make sense. But then when you begin to look at your life and you see all the things that you kind of tucked away somewhere and then brought them out at the most appropriate time, you thought, okay, God, that makes sense. And if you have enough smarts on this end of life, for all of you who are so much younger than me, will take the opportunity to look for those moments in time where you can say, Okay, I want to tuck that one away somewhere because that's going to be valuable. That's going to be monumental. That's going to be important in my life. Don't miss those moments. One of the first mentions of Joshua is Numbers chapter 13 and 14. <coughs> it's that famous spying out of the land, headed into the promised land. God uh, tells Moses, choose a dozen guys, send them out. Have them bring a report back to the people. All 12 guys go. They go to the same place. When you read the story... It seems like they went to two different places. One sees all the problems. The other two see all the potential. Ten see all, all, all the same things. All they see is problems. These two see potential and possibility. It would be one thing if one went one way and ten went one way and two went the other, but it wasn't. They all saw the same things. It's a matter of how you see life. Success in life has a lot to do with how you look at it. Do you always see the problems or can you see the possibilities? Is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Doesn't mean you're not a realist, but how you view the world, how you view God has an enormous impact on the people around you. If you read the Israelite story, they believe the ten 
more than they believe the power of God, and it costs them everything, literally everything. Many times our kids will see life as we see it. So how do you see life? How do you look at life? You see all the possibilities knowing that you see the problems, but saying, I believe this is what God's calling us to do or be or to go. Let's move ahead. One of my favorite mentions of Joshua is in the story of the Amalekites' attack upon Israel, and you're going to see it in the next section of Scripture listed in your note in Exodus chapter 17. Moses is now 80 years old, not doing fighting like he used to before. He goes up on a hill, and Joshua, who's probably in his 40s, is in his fighting prime. And he goes out there with that sword, and he begins to take on the Amalekites. And, and, and I've often wondered what it was like. Scripture just simply gives us the facts. I love to look at the picture. I love to kind of get an image in my head of what it was like for Joshua to be down on that battlefield fighting the Amalekites, looking up on that hill and seeing Moses lift up his hands. And every time Moses held up his hands in intercessory prayer, Joshua started to win the battle. And every time Moses got tired and the hands went down, Joshua started to lose. And I've often wondered how many times that took place before Joshua realized, okay, there's something in that more than in the power of the sword. I'm a warrior. I, I get that. I, I, I have a lot of weapons, and I carry them on a regular basis, and so I get all of that. But on so many occasions, God will remind me of this section of Scripture. The power is not in your weapon. The power is not in your sword. The power is in God Almighty. And when I watch that section of Scripture, I've often wondered how long it took for Joshua to look up on that hillside to recognize the balance of what's taking place, how God's intervening in amazing ways and saying, I needed this. I needed to remember this. It's not always about our abilities or our lack of abilities. It is about what God can do with our willingness to lay them at his feet. I think the second thing that I learned that day is the power of teamwork. If you look at the rest of the story in verse 12, when Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up, then Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood there on each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset, and as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of the Amalekites in battle. I don't know who you have in your life, to hold you up when things are tough. I've been incredibly blessed by a man sitting here in the front row, by people all over this audience, by a 20-something girl who writes me every once in a while some of the greatest encouragement I could ever imagine from a 20-year-old. I hope you have those people in your life who lift you up when you're going through tough waters, who encourage you, who affirm you, who believe in you, who say they're praying for you, who actually really mean it when they say anything I can do for you. Not everybody says that. Not everybody means that. But you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they really do mean that. Anything I can do for you, let me know. Now that I've been here this long, it's a thrill to be able to watch some of these gals and guys grow up to be men and women of God, to really challenge themselves to grow in their relationship with God, and to know that they're also involved in the process of taking on and touching the next generation it is incredible to be able to have those people in your life who hold you up. Men by nature are loners. I'm a lone wolf. Somebody said, let's go on a Harley ride together. I'm going, I'm, I'm good. I'm going somewhere else. Number one, it's not like we're going to sit and talk at 90, at 90 miles an hour. 
I, I don't. We've got a lot of police officers in this building. I really don't do that. <laughs> but it, it, it fascinates me. It's, it's not like we're going to talk much together at, at 61.2 miles an hour <laughs> on a regular basis. You're not. Now, you stop every once in a while and share and talk and all that, and I get that. But I'm, I'm a lone wolf, and, and I know that by my own nature. And so I've had to really be proactive of making sure that I have Men in my life, men don't share their feelings well. You've always heard me say that. You don't go on a hunting trip or a fishing trip to share your feelings. <laughs> if you do, they're throwing you over the boat. <laughs> but we need those people in our life that we really can unpack and unload on. Sometimes we men can be very independent, but we can't do it alone. We need solid people around us because sometimes that independence can get us in a whole lot Next mention of Joshua is in Exodus 24. He ascended to the mountain to get the law. He went with Moses. He stood on the outside, didn't have the opportunity to see God face to face. And Joshua was sitting there with Moses in verses 12 and 13 for six days while the cloud covered. And on the seventh day, Moses went up alone. He left Joshua there for 40 days. And, and I got to believe that that experience left its mark on Joshua. In your notes, it says that initial vision of God in the subsequent 40 days of solitary meditation branded his heart with a deep sense of God's glory, holiness, and power. And even so, our vision of God will set the tone for the rest of our lives. The greater the vision, the deeper the confidence. You've got to highlight that somewhere in your notes. The greater the vision, the deeper the confidence. The more aware you are of who God is, you'll hear that in a moment, but more, the more aware you are of who God is and what he does in your life, the deeper the confidence you cannot have those times in your life when you sense the glory, holiness, and power of God and not be changed. We had quite a few comments about last Sunday's sermon, just the way we ended it, the way we ended it with music and the celebration of that and where we really felt the presence of God. Now, for those of you who really loved it and would love for us to do that all the time, I get that. I love that. What we have to remember is all of our volunteers show up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and if we do that every single Sunday, or here till noon. Now, we love that, but that's a long time for them, and so we want to be sensitive to that. But man, when you're in those moments, when you're sensing the power and presence of God, it is incredible. What I love about Joshua, and I think I have it in your notes this morning, he was a warrior, but he was also a worshiper, and those two go together. Now, you can be Mr. Macho and Mr. Tough, and I ain't singing, I don't like music. I don't like what you guys do. Certainly not going to raise my hands. And, and I get that. But I'm telling you, what I love about Joshua, man, the guy was a warrior. He was as tough as nails. He would take on anybody no matter what. And in most cases, he'd win the battle. But the man was also a worshiper. And they both go together. In Exodus 33, they're in that moment time with God again. And verse 11, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses as, with, as a man face to face. And then when Moses left, Joshua didn't want to leave. And I have in your notes, true spiritual leadership demands time alone with God. Quiet time with God. If you're raising kids, you need <laughs> to carve out some time with God. I say that every Mother's Day and every Father's Day. And I know it's much harder for moms and dads. But if you're raising kids, you need some quiet time with God. Because I'm telling you, they will challenge you every single step of the way and every single day of your life. I love doing weddings, and I, I said it to these couples all the time, you know, right at the beginning, and I looked at Brandon and Miranda yesterday, and I said, 
Hey, I just want you to know, a moment ago you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. You have no idea what you just committed to. <laughs> I just want you to know, because right now today is awesome. I mean, she came up on a carriage out of Disney with two white horses. I mean, it was one of the grandest entrances I've seen. And so you look at that all event and everything is perfect. And I just say, babe, I want you to know there's going to be some really hard challenges along the way. I just want you to know that you've got to make sure that you spend time alone with God. Because as those challenges begin to unfold, children come into your life, you've got to carve out more and more time. Our lives are so filled with so much activity that without time built into our journey for listening and reflecting on God, we will miss some of God's greatest moments. Text, emails, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, twit, tweet, whatever you call it. I'm just telling you, they will rob you of your moments with God. Now, you know I'm biased. I don't use most of those at all. I'm lucky to keep up with texts and emails. But I'm just telling you, if you're not careful, they're, they're great tools and great resources. But I'm telling you, you'll spend so much time doing that, it will rob you of some really valuable time with God. I'm not dissing all of those things. I'm just saying you've got to realize what they're taking away from you if you're not careful. All of those things that I just said about Joshua lead him to the next one as a a life lived with faith and obedience can give you the courage to pray with audacious faith. I love that phrase. All of those things, time alone with God, an awareness of the power of God, an awareness of the gifts of God, an awareness of who God is and what he's called him to do. All of those things can give you the power to pray with audacious faith. In Joshua chapter 10, he's in another battle. And they're battling pretty intense. And on that day, in verse 12, over the Amorites, over Israel, Joshua said to the Lord, in the presence of all Israel, I love that he does that, sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Abijon. And it did. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, and the nation avenged its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the day of the sky and delayed going down for a full day. There was never a day like it before and never a day since. I've wanted to do that. You've got so many things you want to accomplish, Lord. If you just slow it down a little bit, man, it's going by pretty quick. You want to do that with time, all of a sudden. <laughs> I had a couple in my office a couple days ago talking about family dynamics. And, and she said, uh, well, his dad's pretty old. He's 63, going on 64. <laughs> How old do you think I am? Yep. 63, going on 64 in a couple of months. What I love about these moments in time where God just brings you to the place when you are aware of what God has done in your experience of life, that I can really pray with audacious faith, believing that God will do some amazing things in my life because I trust him. All of a sudden, the clock goes fast, time goes fast. You want to slow it down a little bit, and it doesn't. But there are times in your life when you really want to pray and ask God to do some unbelievable things. And those experiences brought him to the point where he could pray like that. We don't pray like that in your sermon notes sometimes because we don't feel we deserve it in your notes. Maybe because we don't think God will answer. That's too big of a prayer. We're afraid it's too big and too bold for a prayer to dare ask God. And I get it. I get it. I mean, praying for the sun to stand still is a big prayer. Praying for Elijah to fire come down from heaven, that's pretty audacious faith. But I'm telling you, there are times that 
God gives us through our journey with him, coming to that point of being able to say, God, I really need you to intervene in a really powerful way. Prayer for healing. You have no idea how unbelievably I feel right now compared to what I know I felt like an hour ago and what I've seen God do in regards to healing, praying for direction, praying for reconciliation for a marriage that you think is over, prayer for salvation to the one that you think would never change. Pray for healing, praying for direction, praying for reconciliation for a marriage that you think is over, praying for salvation for the one that you think will never change. You can't speak to men without Joshua chapter 7. It's the effects of hidden sin. The effects of hidden sin in your sermon notes. It's the story of Achan. Stole some things that he wasn't supposed to and hid them in his tent. And it cost he and his family everything. Our enemy knows our weakness. I mean, he reads you and I like a book. Smarter than I am. More intuitive than I am. He knows every single weakness you and I have. And men, we're loaded with a lot of them. If you don't think so, ask your mate or the person who knows you the best or sitting around you. They know our weakness. You can bet Satan does. And he'll use it against you every single chance he can. That's why you need other people in your life to trust him. What I love, and I think I put it in your sermon notes, there's a powerful interaction between God and Joshua in chapter 7, verses 10 to 13. You can read the whole chapter. But that interaction between God where Joshua is saying, God, I don't know what to do. I mean, we're losing the battle. And so he gets on his face before Almighty God in prayer. You'd think that's what he should do. But you know what God tells him to do? Get up off your face and deal with the issue. Get up off your knees, deal with the issue. It's Achan. Everybody camp knows it. If you're dealing with a battle of sin, you're dealing with a, a, an issue in your life, and come to God, God, get rid of this, God, get rid of this, God, get rid of this, and seemingly only letting him take care of it. We have a God that can do anything on the planet, but unless you do the work necessary, breaking the bondage, dealing with the issue, taking the necessary steps for counseling or deliverance, whatever that may be, you're going to get back to that place of prayer for the next 20 years of your life. God says, get up off your knees, deal with the issue, my friend. It's a powerful interaction. Psalm 32, write it down in your sermon notes somewhere. David said, look, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. I'm going to deal with David in this summer, summer series, but not the issue of sin. We've dealt with it a couple of times, but there's that fascinating place when he said, my, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night I felt your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. As in the heat of the summer, then I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my sin. Unconfessed sin has a heavy price. It can destroy a man or a woman, a marriage, a family, a career, a business, or a church. I love you enough to tell you. Final thing about Joshua is he finished well. He finished well. You can't talk about this story without all the things we've talked about this morning because they're so critical into being the man of God that he designed us to be. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. doesn't always matter how you start or even where you're at right now, but you can make a decision to finish well. At a Promise Keepers Pastors event, 
a number of years ago, they said for every 10 guys who start ministry at age 21, only one finishes still in ministry at 65. Of every 10 men who start ministry at age 21, only one finishes still in ministry, Tyler, at age 75. So man, go at it with everything you've got. Stay consistent to the end. I want to be able to look back at my ministry and my life and know that I've finished well, and I know you do too. We don't want to be sitting at Sunnyview, our retirement home, gumming our food to death, wanting to be able to say, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd have done that. I want to finish well. When you die and enter heaven, don't you want to be able to look Jesus in the eye and know you can? And when you hear him say, well done, don't you want to know he meant it? Don't you want to be able to look Jesus in the eye? And don't you want to know when he said, well done, he means it. My dad's 88, and I adore the man. He's one of the hardest working men I've ever met in all of my life. Drove me crazy in a lot of respects in regards to that. But I love that man. He now, at this stage of my life, my mom turned real bad a couple of years ago and been taking care of her the last couple of years. And this is a guy who worked outside all of his life, is now cooking and cleaning. I said, if I come down on the 4th of July and seeing you wearing an apron, apron I will disown you. <laughs> I'm making cookies now. <laughs> I said, you're what? I'm making cookies. Didn't know how at first. It came out as big as a hubcap, but I thought, doesn't matter. You're going to break them up anyhow and eat them. And I thought, well, you go to the cake store over there to get a birthday cake. They're about as big as a hubcap. I thought, man, you're on the edge of life and you don't know it. But to watch him take care of my mom and, and, and that model and, and my kids have talked about, you know, neither one of my kids want to take me in. They both want to take Connie in, but they're not sure if they want to take me in at the end of life. And, and now watching what he's done, it's just incredible. None of us know what the end of life's going to be. We don't know how long we have. I've been around long enough to know that funerals don't always happen at 70, 80, 90 year old. Man, you and I as man of God have the opportunity to make a difference in the next generation in remarkable ways. And they're dying to know what godliness looks like. They're dying to know what manliness looks like. So skewed in regards to television, it's the same. We don't even know what a man is anymore. So you and I have the opportunity to show them. This is what a man looks like. It's how a man lives. This is how a man loves. This is how a man serves his family. This is how a man serves God. I know every time I hear it, okay, we're going to go to Mother's Day and they're going to get so lifted up and we're going to come to Father's Day and they're going to beat us up. And that's not the intention at all. I'm giving you the best example you could ever have in Joshua who just loves God, loves life, and, uh, and you, you have the opportunity to to live that out. So I want to pray for us because I'm near the end and uh, wrapping her up pretty soon one of these days and in regards to life itself. I'm old now according to that girl. I'm pretty old. So, uh, but I want to pray like I did on, on Father's Day or on Mother's Day for men in the room. So guys, if you stand, father, mother, doesn't matter, or uh, father, uh, sing, <laughs> single, Single doesn't matter. Would you stand so I can pray for you? God, I, I thank you for these men. I thank you for their life, for the impact they've had, for the friendships we've been able to build, for the joy of friendship and relationships that I've been able to have through these years. And each one of these men stand at a different level of their life, stand at a different stage of their life. Some are 
starting it out. Some aren't even there yet. Some are in the middle, some near the end, and some walking down that road pretty far. And so I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will bless them and use them in remarkable ways. I love this church so much. I love this church so much because we have so many great, wonderful, biblical, godly men who serve all over this campus and with our children. I love watching VBS next week and all these guys who come and serve all over this campus. So bless us as dads, as men. Help us to serve you with everything we've got and to follow after you so that when it's all said and done, we really know that we've done our best, we've finished well, and we see you face to face knowing well done and you mean it. So bless them, we pray, in the powerful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have an incredible Father's Day. If I don't greet you, I hope you understand that.